I'm Tanya J. Powers for Fox News Radio. Today I'm spending a few moments with the legendary Charlie Daniels. Charlie, how are you? I'm almost 81 years old is what I am. <sighs> That's where the legendary comes from. That's if you where live, the legendary Everybody comes from? gets legendary if you live long enough. I don't, you know? I, uh, no, I'm not buying that. <laughs> not even for a second. Uh, you have a new book out. I want to talk about that first. Okay. Never Look at the Empty Seats. Mm-hmm. Now, this book has been in the making for a long time. Over 20 years, actually. I started writing 20 years ago, just kind of making notes and stuff, and it got to, I started putting together, and got to be kind of a cohesive sort of thing. So I started, you know, putting putting it kind of in chronological order. It's not really in totally chronological order. I jump around a lot, but uh, I tried to edit it, the pieces out that weren't, Interesting. I tried to stick pretty, just kind of cut the chase, but I could never find a place to end it because I kept good things kept happening to me, and I kept writing. I never got invited to join the Grand Ole Opry till I was in my seventies, so I kept writing. And then when I was told I was going to be inducted into Country Music Hall of Fame, I thought, what a great place to end this. So that's what it is. It's the first things I can ever remember from back in my early, very earliest remember as a toddler. Up until the night that I was inducted into Country Music Hall of Fame. Now, when you wrote this and you said you were writing stuff down, and it's taken, mm-hmm. like you said, two decades mm-hmm. to kind of get all this together. Honestly, when you told me this a few months ago, I expected like a nine-pound book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we'd have covered uh, the everything, it would have been probably about a ninety-pound book. I would think. <laughs> you must have wore your editor plum out. <laughs> <laughs> But I tried to keep it concise. I, you know, I, as I went through, and you're talking about your third cousin's second wife or something. I mean, nobody cares about that kind of stuff. And you know, you can't you can't list every gig you've ever done. So you kind of hit the high spots, you know, and try to try to do the things that are interesting to other people. That's what I tried to do. Um, you you tell a lot of stories uh, in this book. I know one of the things you and I have talked about in the past, and you kind of you also talk about it in the book because obviously, when you say Charlie Daniels, uh-huh. there's one song. That everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly not <laughs> the breadth of your work, which right. is astounding in its in its own right. Uh, but the never went down to Georgia. Tell me again. I love this story. How? Tell me about this song. It's, how you uh, got it? You know, I've I've written other songs that have more meat to the story than that. But the odd thing about it is, it's the biggest song we ever had by far. It's our signature song, but it came about almost kind of offhandedly. We had rehearsed, written, I should say, and rehearsed an album's worth of music for an album that we call Million Mile Reflections. We went in the studio and started recording. And all of a sudden we said, we ain't got no fiddle tune. Why ain't we got no fiddle tune? Well, you didn't write one, idiot. So uh, we literally decided we needed a fiddle song. Why we didn't decide it in the writing phase, I do not know. But we took a break. We moved the instruments out of the recording studio into a rehearsal studio. And I had this line in my head, the devil went down to Georgia. And, I mean, it just sounds, even sitting here now talking about it, if I hadn't written a song, it would sound like something I should have written a song about, you know. It's just one of those phrases. So I went in with the band, and we started, you know, drummer play this and this and that, and then Taz came up with that, da 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 And it just kind of came together musically, and I went off and wrote the lyrics to it, and we went back and recorded it. But it just happened like that. It was not something that we we had songs in on that album that we had just labored over for weeks, you know, that we had rehearsed and written and, I, and all got all the bugs out of them and everything. But that went down to Georgia happened very shortly. Very do you, short do you find that that's where the when, when the inspiration like that hits 
are those, and then that can't be the only one that you've had like that. That's, no, it's not the only one. You know, it's it's not really some of the some of the best songs I've written are stuff that I've labored over very much. Some when the lyrics are popping like popcorn, I mean that's just the greatest feeling. But they're not going to all do that. But they don't mean, necessarily mean one song is going to be better than it, it's a lot easier to write. The memory's a lot more, you know, a lot clearer because it just happened in a hurry. But actually, I've, I have carried bits of lyrics around in my head for as long as 14 years. And you never throw anything good away. You always keep it. Because somewhere down the line, it's going to fit into something. It may turn into something totally different from what you had in mind to start with. Mm-hmm. But it's going to, you're going to, if anything good, there's going to be a place for it somewhere down the line. So it's, it's not necessarily that the songs you write faster like we did that one in georgia or better that, that that did turn out to be a very a very better <laughs> for us but it not necessarily that way every time sometimes it just takes a long time to write them but a good song is just a good song where it comes to rather quickly or, or slowly there are is it 63 chapters 63 chapters yeah they're short well they are you know i i don't i've i've had no experience well i, I had i've written some stuff before uh, I've written some short stories and some short essays and things like that, but I've never done anything like this. And I have no education at it. I don't know what's supposed to be, what the layouts are, this or that. And I went, I didn't, I was bound to determine I was not going to use another writer. I probably wouldn't even have done it if I hadn't used another writer. I wanted to do it all myself. And I did. And I self-edited it until I got to the point where, you know, I was ready to turn it in and, and get some direction from somebody else about certain things. But I, I wanted to do it in my words and in my way, and we it if it took a long time to do it, it was all right. I wouldn't go anywhere anyway. But I, as the, as things would happen, I would be I may go, jump ten years ahead. I'll be thinking about something. It reminds me of something that happened, and rather than move, lose the flush of the memory, if you will, that what, what what I've got in my mind, what I'm thinking about, what is vivid, I'll go ahead and. I'll go ahead and write about that and then go back to where I was. So it jumps around a good bit. It's not necessarily in chronological parts of it are the pertinent parts, but it's not necessarily in chronological order. It's in easy-to-read chunks. You Mm -hmm. feel like you know Charlie Daniels Mm -hmm. when you read this book because you did write it in your voice, your style. This is you. It is. Well, we actually did an audio book that is is me saying it, you know. But the reason there's so many chapters is every time I I thought, well, chapter's supposed to cover a certain, you know, a certain era of time or something. And every time I'd get there, I'd <laughs> if it was 15 pages, it was five pages or whatever it was, I'd make a chapter out of it because I wanted it to, you know, to separate. Um, one of the things you mentioned, uh, all of the people that you've worked with and the friends that you've had, especially in the music industry, it's like a who's who list. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things you mentioned is Leonard Skinner. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the book. Yeah. Uh, we started working with Skinner back when they had the first record. And we all started working together. We worked with the Allman Brothers. We worked with uh, Marshall Tucker and Wet Willie. And the, we got packaged together a lot because that we were – you know, I've never seen Southern rock as a genre of music. If you take the bands, you take the band, they're basically about four or five bands that were really considered to be what they call Southern rock. Allman Brothers was a, was a blues band, one of the best ever. Leonard Skinner is as pure a rock and roll band as you will ever find. Wet Willie is, is kind of rhythm and blues, you know, Jimmy with his horn and all that stuff. And then Marshall Tucker definitely has country leanings. And we're just kind of lost off out in the middle of all of them. So the music is different. What was it like was the people. 
the attitudes, the atmosphere, the the environment that we were all raised in. When I'd walk in a dressing room where these guys were, I, the first time I ever met them, I felt like I'd known them all my life. They were like people I was raised with, you know, like they were people that I went to school with, I used to play with when I was a kid and all. I knew where they came from. I knew what their attitudes were. I knew what kind of food they ate. I knew what kind of schools they went to. I knew everything about them, and they knew the same about me. So it was a genre of people that you got to know very, very easily and became friends with real quick. But the music is different. I mean, there's a sameness. There's a, if you're from the Southeast, you're going to play blues. I mean, it's just in your DNA. It's in your blood. You can't help it. It's just going to it's gonna surface, you know. But uh, the music, if you listen to it and you listen to any other music, the bands are different. You can you can identify the bands. You can tell who's who. But the people, the people very, very much the same. You mentioned all these different bands and artists who were, like you said, under the Southern Rock umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they definitely had their own place, the blues, yep. the rock, the country. Right. And you mentioned you guys are kind of out there on your own. Did that set you up for later on being able to go, you know what, we are on our own. We're, on, we're our own thing. We're the Charlie Daniels band. We're not like anybody else. Much more so after I finally found my vocal style. I, I came, we stopped and consider, you know, we're, we're product of our environment. My environment had been 13 years of bang, slam, copy music, rock music, country music, whatever the top 40 was I played. That's what people wanted to hear. The more you could sound like the record. If I did a Fast Domino song, I could sound like Fast Domino. Everybody loved it. Then if I could, I turned around and did an Elvis Presley song, and I could sound like Elvis, you know, everybody loved that too. So you tried to sound like the record and the vocalist and the arrangement and everything. You tried to sound as much like the record as you could because it meant you were doing well. People liked you. People would come see you in the clubs. I had the hardest time getting out of my head when I started doing original music. And I come to find out and I'd sit and listen to a record the first time we did, and I said, that, 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 that's somebody else. It's like I'm copying somebody. I did that for about four albums inadvertently. I mean, it, was just, it would just happen. You know, I would interpret a song as I would imagine Little Richard would sing it or somebody. You know what I mean. And uh, on the fifth album, album called Fire on the Mountain, I said, I'm going to go in the studio, and I'm going to open my mouth. And whatever comes out of my mouth, I'm not going to color it either way. I'm not going to flavor it either way. I'm not going to pronounce words like somebody else. I'm going to pronounce words like I pronounce the words. I'm just going to sing. And I did. It was the first album that I was really happy with my vocal about. From then on, that was Fire on the Mountain. And I think that was, though we had some pretty unique things before then, I think that was the beginning of, uh, of the CDB sound and style. If you were to go back and listen to those four albums, when you get there, you say something happened. Something happened here. This band came together. This this style came together. The fiddle was pretty prominent on it, which kind of separated us from the other bands because nobody else had a fiddle in the band. And so we kind of, you know, we that's to me when we really started coming together with a, with a CDB style with a that you could really tell when you heard us on the radio that you would know who it was. You mentioned you, the, the book ends uh, with the, your induction into the Country Music Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. And you have a, you, you've put your, actually, acceptance speech in the back of the book. And I love one of the lines in here. It says, it's been a great ride, gang. We're still in the saddle, and it ain't over by a long shot. Right. Bring it on. Right. 
I love that because you're not, you're clearly not done. This is not a bookend moment no, no, for you. You're, no. you're still going full, full That's steam ahead. one of the reasons I had such a hard time in the book because I, you know, if you end the book, it sounds like it's the end of your career or something. And I, that's far from, from where I was, far from how I felt. But there's a kind of a, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be a finality. It can be a long, long admired goal that has been rich. Because I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought I'd be inducted into country music hall. I remember Grand Ole Opry knocked me to the moon, you know. I mean, just I was surprised at that. And then to all of a sudden, to turn around a few years later and, and be inducted into country music hall of fame, where they only induct three people a year. And there's so many people. I'm, I could go back and name people after people after people who deserve it. I feel more than I do. And this thing just, it it was such a major, major thing. I said was. I should not use the past tense. I should say is. It is such a major, major happening in my life, and it means so much to me. I have yet to find the words to articulate the depth of honor that I feel by being elected to, to the Hall of Fame. That I felt this is a this is a this is not necessarily this is not a period. It's like a comma. It's not a stopping place, but it is a pausing place, and it's a great place to pause because it's way up there. It's very high up there. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. So I think it's a good place to pause the book. So we'll see if part two comes along or not. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're counting on part two now. Okay. Uh, I do want to ask you one other, uh, well, a couple more questions. The uh, obviously one of the things that you have in here quite prominently is your faith. Mm-hmm. I know that was not a hesitation for you at all to put that in the book. It was not a hesitation, but it was a difficulty. It was an extreme difficulty because I had my my faith journey goes through a lot of years and a lot of changes and a lot of, 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 of thought, an awful lot of thought and conviction and, and belief. I had I was raised in a Christian family, and from the time I could remember I was heard Jesus died for you. I believed it. I knew it was, but I didn't know why. So I set out to find why. And I did my own study, did Bible study, and I accepted uh, some of the findings of people who I respected. There were certain people I respected their interpretation of the Bible. And I arrived at what to me is my personal, you know, my the personal way I feel about salvation. But everybody's got to arrive at that on their own. But I wanted to get my points across crystal clear. I didn't want to lead anybody in any direction other than exactly what I felt and what I meant. And so it took me a good little while and a lot of soul searching to write. I ran that past my pastor. I asked him because you know, I, I knew I wanted what I wanted to say. I just wanted to see if it was if it made sense to everybody else. And he he looked other than a couple of spelling changes. A couple of things like that. He said, "Yeah, you 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 have said it, you know." And I had said it to a, a, a guy who's I respected as a as a Bible studier, and I had done it to my specifications the way that I felt that I communicated what I was trying to say to people. But that was the hard part of it. It was the hardest chapter in the whole book. It was the most thought out, most soul searching chapter in the whole book. How has your faith helped you deal with? things that have happened in your life. I mean, I know that, like you said in the book, we mentioned Leonard Skinner. I know mm-hmm. one of the uh, the passing of one of the members of Montgomery Gentry lately, yeah. that was very tough for you, too, because you knew them. Yeah, you know, we did. Well, I've been not knew them kids from the time they first started out. Now, my faith, I try to strain everything that I do through my faith. I don't always succeed at it. Sometimes I get out way off center. I mean, I'm still I'm a center. No ways about it. 
but uh, I tried to I tried to channel everything through. Well, you know, is this the right thing to do? Did I say the right thing, or am I getting mad here? Am I going to pop off at somebody and make somebody feel bad? And I can't see. I can't do that because if I do. Ten minutes later, I call and apologize. I cannot have hard things with people. I just can't do it. It eats me up, especially if it's my fault. If it's somebody else's fault and I can't help it, I feel bad enough about it. But if it's my fault, if I've wronged somebody, if I've slighted somebody verbally or however, it really, really bothers me. And uh, if I, I have chewed people out on the phone before, Maybe even being partially justified in doing it and then thinking, that ain't you. Come on, man. And pick the phone up and call back and say, I am so sorry, not about what I said, but in the way I said it. Will you please forgive me for what I did? And, you know, that's sometimes if you don't pick up the phone and call back, you know, it's that's just, it really bothers me. So anyway, uh, I try to let it, everything that I do be affected by my beliefs, my Christianity. I don't always meet the mark, but I try. Okay, one last question. Sure. B.B. King had Lucille. Uh-huh. Do you have a fiddle that goes everywhere that has a name? I got to know. I've got three fiddles that are named, but you're, gonna not, you're not going to like names. Okay. <laughs> They're number one, number two, and number three. <laughs> well, let, let, let me explain it to you. I carry three fiddles on the road. Uh, you can break a string. One of the electronics, I use electric fiddles. Electronics can go out. Anything can happen. The string can slip or whatever. So I carry three just to be on the safe side. I never remember getting any more than two deep into them. I, I, and one night, one string would break, and I'd get the other one, and it would last. But the, the way they're named is the one I like playing the best the one I like playing the next best, and of course number three is the one I like playing the least. So we got number one, number two, and number three. I, I should probably come up with some exotic names for one of my fiddles, I guess. Hazel would have to be the first one, right? <laughs> I've never thought about a fiddle being a female. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got to come back or so maybe, you can tell me maybe that story. I, maybe I have male and female fiddles. You know, it's, that's Bruce and that's Jane, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. I can't wait to ask you about this the next time. I'm going to find out if you changed your mind. Thank you. Your new book is called Never Look at the Empty Seats, the first memoir. First memoir. First um, 80 years. First 80 years. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about the second 80. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to living it. <laughs> I'll see you when I'm 162. <laughs> Done. All right. I'll book the studio time. You're on. I've been spending a few moments with none other than Charlie Daniels. Thank you for coming by today. Thank you. I'm Tanya J. Powers. This is Fox News Radio. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Fox News podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.